Right, welcome everybody to another one in our uh, lockdown editions of the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. My name's David Lloyd. I'm at home in my in my home office, and I am involved at the moment in a Zoom conversation with my two esteemed colleagues who would like to introduce themselves to you now. Tomo, after you, mate. Oh wow. Oh wow, we usually have a bit of a battle over this. <laughs> Is usually a comment made. Yeah, uh, Tom Morris, Charter Financial Planner and Director at Ovation Finance. So I'm Chris Budd. I wrote the Financial Wellbeing book. I also am Chairman of the Initiative for Financial Wellbeing and I advise well, Chairman of Ovation. I've got a few things, actually. Yeah, so th- there you go. And I'm currently standing in my cabin in the garden, which is where I've been for a few years, actually. I mean, not just in the cabin, obviously. I do, I'm allowed out every once in a while. So if you hear a little noise in the background, it's the rain pattering on the roof because it does get a bit noisy when it rains hard, isn't it? With a desire to add to my back catalogue, as Chris has mentioned it, I'm also on the executive board of the IFW. So just needed to put that in there because I'm always conscious of re-listening to these of how many interests you two have got. <laughs> and what is the IFW? Good. I'm glad you got I'm glad you got that cue. The IFW is the Initiative of Financial Wellbeing, which is an organization that was very much born out of a lot of the work that we've been doing on this podcast around financial wellbeing and the conference that we put on last year and we got a huge amount of interest from people within the financial services world and they wanted to get involved and it's manifested from there and we are how many members strong now Chris? 160 I think it is individual members and we've got lots of partner members or sponsors as they're also known so if there's anybody working for a company that thinks do you know what financial well-being we'd quite like to get involved in that then get in touch with us because we are looking for partner member companies to help support our work. Brilliant. And before we go on with the main body of the podcast today, as I said in the introduction, we're still at the moment that this is being recorded, still in lockdown. We're still confined largely to our homes. Just want to briefly ask the two of you how you're coping with it all. Tomo, you're at home. uh, You've got a toddler and another one on the way. How are you dealing with all of that? I do. That's hot off the press, isn't it? My my darling wife, Lindsay, is is expecting our second. So that's all very exciting. Um, Yeah, I am doing far better than I was a few weeks back actually it's just routine it's getting used to the new way of doing things and it's I find it's amazing how human beings can get used to a new norm in a fairly short space of time I have my moments but I'm yeah it's going to be strange actually going outside again now I think yeah Chris what about yourself well that phrase the new normal is going to come up again later Tomo so I'm glad you used Ah. that I'm, I'm all right yeah yeah I think um I think it's fair to say that uh, I'm watching a lot of films at the moment <laughs> in the evenings. I'm quite enjoying that, getting to watch some stuff with my son, who's really into his films. So we watched Pell Rider last night, Clint Eastwood. And I have watched, yeah, a few interesting films recently. So, yeah, it's, it's OK. It's OK. I wouldn't want to last this forever, David, but we're doing all right. Yeah, yeah. I find going back to something that Tomo said, I think routine, I'm finding that really, really helpful. I, I just finished watching, actually, with my 16-year-old nephew who's in lockdown with me, the entire series of Game of Thrones, which uh, we've watched two a night for the past five weeks. And I really enjoyed I've seen it before. He hadn't. So we have really enjoyed that. So we're going to have to break new ground tonight and watch something else. But I think those routines really help as well. I've, I've had a little, uh, got a little hashtag going on Twitter called uh, Lockdown Libation, where I feature a a different drink it. every night. Um, and I'm enjoying that. I mean, it just started off with me, you know, with a photograph of me and a glass of cider. And it's kind of, 
just grown into me now trying to come up with something perhaps witty and uh, never anything that profound. Anyway. <laughs> I think it's worth saying, actually, David, you're a good follow on Twitter. So at Dave underscore Backwell. Um, and I've enjoyed your libations as well. I, I had to say, though, it's not that difficult to find a, diff- a picture of you with a pint of cider, is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It is true indeed. Right. Thank you for that little plug. OK, so let us crack on with today's podcast. Uh, what are we talking about today, Chris? Well, today, David, we're going to talk about a concept called the hedonic treadmill and spot theory of happiness. And when I was doing the research and writing some of the stuff for this, I, I had a little moment. I thought I'd found the secret of life, the secret of the meaning of life. I, I, it's not 42, after all. It's all to do with the hedonic treadmill. So anyway, we'll, that's what we're going to talk about. Okay, well... Now, I look forward to that very much indeed. I've never come across the word hedonic before, but no doubt you'll tell us more of that anon. Before that, we have a couple of features that uh, we need to bring to you. So I'm very excited to announce that we've got a brand new feature on the podcast, Bage's Biases. Now, every episode, behavioural finance expert Neil Bage is going to be giving us his money behavioural tip. He's been on the podcast before in episodes 36 and 21. And his company, BIQ, has just launched a new app called Beam. Now, it's currently only available on iTunes, but it's coming to Android devices later in the year, I'm told. And and Beam will help you to uncover your own behavioral biases, the things that often stop us from making good decisions about money. So let's have a listen to what bias Neil has for us this episode. Today, we start with confirmation bias. So what is confirmation bias? Confirmation bias sees us searching for or interpreting information that is consistent with our existing opinions or beliefs, whilst at the same time ignoring any evidence that could prove that we're wrong. It's a very powerful behavioral bias, and it's what psychologists call the mother of all behavioral biases. Let me give you an example. Assume you hold the view, the opinion, that people who have blue eyes are more intelligent than those who don't have blue eyes. You want to prove your point, so you go online and you search for, are blue-eyed people the most intelligent? Now, I've done this, and the first response up is from a well-known British newspaper who have carried out the research of looking into this and have concluded, in inverted commas, that A a series of very bright historical characters had blue eyes. Stephen Hawking, Marie Curie, for example. And B, blue-eyed people are more studious and outperform brown-eyed individuals in exams. Well, that's all fine and dandy, right? But it blatantly leaves out some crucial information, such as examples of historically brilliant people who weren't blue-eyed, or how people with different eye colours perform in exams. In seeking evidence for my hypothesis, this goes a long way to confirming my beliefs. And I could just stop there and tell people that I have evidence that supports my view. Now, what happens if instead you search for eye colour and intelligence? Well, this gives us a completely different set of results, much more rounded, much more fact-based but it also gives me access to evidence on all eye colours and IQ scores so I can see information that will help me reach a conclusion. Now, I can continue to search for fact-based evidence and update my mental model of the world, or I can keep searching for information that only confirms my view. 
and at the same time, ignore any other evidence that proves that my hypothesis is wrong. Therefore, a great tip for this bias is not to accept your view or opinion as fact. And if you're looking for information to support your view, start by looking at evidence that doesn't support your view. See the other side of the story first, and it may just help you keep confirmation bias at bay. Interesting stuff there. Uh, good to hear from Neil again. I, I actually, it goes back to uh, the assertion by uh, my follower on Twitter yesterday that uh, Boris Johnson's the best prime minister we ever had. It just goes to show that just because you believe Brexit was a good thing doesn't necessarily follow that the man who brought it to us is the best prime minister and capable of doing the job. So very interesting point there from Neil, I thought. I would imagine there's a little bit of confirmation bias going on in you as well, Dave. Oh, possibly, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> do, you, do you know what? I, I'm going to give you an example. I'm, I'm acutely aware of some of this stuff, as you would hope, David, as, a, as your financial planner. Indeed, yes. Um, and you're going to get introduced to the BMAP and what we're using at Ovation is the back office system for that so we can really get some terrific insight into our clients' behaviours and talk about that with them. So watch this space on that one. We're going to have an exciting meeting next time we see each other. Looking forward <laughs> to it. <laughs> but actually, I had this experience myself. So I'm... I, I'm a man who likes a spreadsheet. I'm a man who likes data. And I have been tracking the COVID-19 death figures. I know it sounds terribly morbid, but just trying to get some sense of what the patterns all mean. And just for me, it was an odd sense of control, at least knowing what was going on. And I noticed that it was definitely an outlier that is Germany in Western Europe anyway. And I allowed my suspicions, which are completely unfounded at this point to think there's something going amiss with their numbers i have no proof for that so but i could see it triggering in my mind hang on a second you're making assumptions based on no fact at all so i sent a simple twitter message out there and just said look could somebody explain to me how germany have got the same amount of cases that have that are positive as the uk but have far fewer death rates or numbers and i got back some really informed opinions and decisions, all based on quite a lot of good evidence that enable me to have the counter arguments to my initial grounding and belief. And it's completely switched my view on it to, to think that we haven't got the evidence yet, to be quite frank. But it just pulled me away from just searching for information that suited my initial thoughts. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. No, it absolutely does. And I think look forward very much to... Uh hearing more of Neil's biases in uh, future episodes. Now is the time to move on, though, to another one of our features, which has proved incredibly popular in all the podcasts that we've done, when we get our champion of cheapness, Titus Tomo, to come with another one of his great money-saving ideas before he does. Chris, have you got anything for us today? I do, David. It's a work in progress, but I saw a tweet from somebody talking about how to regrow spring onions. Now, I do love a good spring onion. And you know, when you chop the end off with all the little roots on it, the idea is that you put that into some water, the roots regrow, and then you can then plant it in your garden and you can get new spring onions. And I assume you can just keep doing this round and round forever and never have to buy a spring onion ever again. 
So well, I am growing spring onions at the moment. So when, when I harvest the first one, I will do exactly that, Chris. There you go. I, I've got a little bowl in the kitchen with uh, with 10 ends of spring onions currently and with some water in. So we'll see whether it works or not. Brilliant. OK, so Tobo, what have you got for us? Well, today I've got a, a silly practical one for you. And it was actually shared with me by Tammy, the real producer behind this podcast. Hey, Tammy. Um, Yes, <laughs> as the editor would definitely be listening to this, and it was quite a funny one. And and seems, it, can you remember when toilet paper was, you know, more available? <laughs> oh, available. Well, it seems to be available again now. But I can remember it was it was sort of more expensive than gold at one point. I and mean, ironically, a loo, one loo roll was more expensive than a barrel of oil at, at one point. You know, at some point during this. This, I'm, uh, I'm a bit epidemic. worried. Is is this going to be an alternative to toilet roll? I'm really worried where this is going. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just a bit of context. When we listen back to this in a year's time of how how crazy these times have been, that loo roll was the currency of choice. But it, it did make me laugh because the advice was all around making it go a little bit further, and that was to squash the loo roll before you put it on the the, the, the loo roll holder, so that when you pulled it to use it. You didn't actually pull more than you needed because it wasn't a perfect uh, circle. So, you know, perfect for children who don't really get the concept of, uh, you know, making sure it lasts and a lot of adults too. So, yeah, I thought that was a terrific tip. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, Tomo says, wipe your bum with oil. I think that's what he said. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Thanks for that. So, Chris, enough of this levity. Why don't you introduce our subject for today? Okay, so I want to talk about a box set of Fellini films that I recently bought. You may remember, David, that you, we and I had a little little Twitter chat about. Uh, we did we? indeed. Yes, you were you were looking for recommendations between uh, Fellini or Truffaut, and I recommended Fellini uh, mainly based on the fact I hadn't seen many Truffaut films. <laughs> <laughs> Confirmation bias at work. I think we exactly. Say. Yeah. So, how are you finding them? Oh, I've, I've really enjoyed it, actually. I've watched two so far, La Dolce Vita and Eight and a Half, and I've really enjoyed them. But the thing is that when they arrived, I'd completely forgotten that i bought them. It, it took me by surprise. It was only a few days, and yet I'd forgotten that I had ordered a box set of Fellini films, which was a crazy thing to do, really. And it made me just reflect upon my Amazon shopping and that I'd been doing a bit of an online buying spree. So at about the same time, I was doing a bit of research on theories of happiness for a next gen thing, which is if you're, if you're a financial advisor, hopefully you'll know next gen. They do a morning commute and I've been doing a daily tip. So I kind of came up with this phrase, the financial well-being junkie. So I'd like to explain what I mean by this, which gives me the chance to go through some financial well-being theory, starting off with how much more I've been buying online. Yeah, well, yeah, I've been doing a lot of that as well, because you can't get out to the shops well, apart from to buy food. So I've been buying all sorts of things. I had some bamboo canes turn up the other day. That I'd forgotten that I'd ordered. There we go. <laughs> for me to support for my French beans. <laughs> I, 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 it's fair to say we're getting a few parcels arrive. I'm not ordering them because I'm tight as Tomo. However, Lindsay is uh, is ordering quite a few, and she says it's the thing that keeps her going because she's got something to look forward to each oh day. Oh my god! <laughs> and I was like, wow. Times are bleak when you've got lockdown with a toddler. But yeah, similar, <laughs> similar things happening this end. OK, so listen, this is the, this is the theory, right? This is, this is uh, follow me with this logic. First of all, I need to tell you about two bits of theory for financial well-being. The first is set point theory. Now, we have 
looked at set point theory before back in podcast 39. Basically, the idea of set point theory is that we reach adult life with a level of happiness, which is then static for the rest of our lives. It, they reckon it's between 50 to 80 percent determined by genetics and the rest is from our childhood. And then when we reach adult life, then the, that, that level of well-being stays the same for the rest of our lives. It's unlikely to change greatly. And there's lots of studies and research I could describe to you that backs that up. So what happens as we go through life is there's something called the hedonic treadmill. Fantastic expression. And the hedonic treadmill is a way of saying that uh, when we deviate away from that set point of well-being, maybe something happens that reduces our well-being, we do something to give us a short-term burst of well-being that takes us back up to our set point level. So when we are put off our stride, if you like, like in lockdown, you go and you do things to, to give yourself well-being, to bring you back up to your set level. So like, for example, you go online and you buy stuff to get a bit of short-term retail therapy, the short-term fixes of well-being, which is why I came up with this expression, a bit tongue-in-cheek, a bit of fun, the financial well-being junkie, because I realised when that Fellini box set landed on my doormat, I'd become a financial well-being junkie, buying things to get short-term fixes of well-being to bring me back to my set level. Mm, Tom, you mentioned earlier on of that this phrase, the new normal. Yeah, and I wonder whether that's fitting into what you're saying. You know, we're, we're, we're looking for these short-term fixes, you know, as we try and adjust to this new normal. You know, lockdown has had a significant effect on our well-being. There is no doubt about that. And, and I think there's an element of us just trying to get back to where we were before. Yeah, and I, think, I think that's absolutely true. I've been speaking to a lot of people and always saying to them, as David did at the start of this, how are you feeling at the moment? And nobody is saying, I'm brilliant. You know, everybody's had to make some adjustments. And actually, that's what we do. We make two different changes. We might adjust to the new normal or we get short term fixes of well-being to keep us up to that level. Let me give you another example. There's a really interesting and a very famous a bit of research where they took two groups of people who'd had massive life changing events. One of them were lottery winners, uh, like a significant lottery winner, and the other one were people who'd had an accident which led to loss of limb. And they asked these people, were you happy before this life-changing event, and were you happy after the life-changing event? So what do you think, guys? What was the conclusion from that survey? Well, I think I, I, they do say money cannot buy you happiness. So um, I wouldn't assume that people would necessarily be any happier because they had the money. OK, Tomo? I know the answer. So, I'm okay. not... <laughs> so the answer is whatever they said from either group before the event was the same after the event. So if somebody was happy before they won the lottery or had that loss of limb, they were happy afterwards. And if they were unhappy before, they were unhappy. In other words, the life-changing event didn't actually affect their long-term level of well-being. So this has a really interesting application in clinical psychology. If someone is depressed, then it could be because they're a long way from their set point. And if the clinical psychologist can help trace the events or point of change that led to the move from the set point, they can help the patient recover from the depressive spell. And it also explains why, if something has happened to significantly reduce our well-being, we indulge in reckless habits in the search of well-being to try and bring us back to our set point, such as buying a Fellini uh, box set. So I understand the theory. We, we have a, a set level of well-being, 
and our actions and experiences only have a finite effect before we return back to that level. And I also get the point that the way we spend money tends to have only short-term effect. But that does leave a couple of key questions, I think. How, how can we spend money in ways that will have a longer-term impact on our set point of well-being? And, and is it actually possible to deviate from our set level of happiness? I, I think I think this is the heart of what the uh, the podcast have been all about and, and will be all about. It's the interesting question. So let's let's look at the second one first. Is it possible to increase our long term level of well being? Well, there are some things that are accepted will affect long term well being. Tend to be pretty catastrophic, such as the death of a child. The sort of things that might increase our set point are much more ephemeral. Things like mindfulness and acceptance. Well, maybe our current level of well-being is right for us. Maybe if we didn't spend so much time trying to be happier and accepting what we have, wouldn't, wouldn't that in itself just make us happier? You know, I'm, I'm thinking right now of, a, of if you're quite naturally grumpy and you're thinking you need to have a higher point of happiness or well-being, actually, that you're happy being grumpy. I don't know. Are you speaking from personal experience there, Tom? Yeah, a lot of the time. <laughs> Only happy when you're miserable. Yeah. <laughs> I've found during lockdown that some of the complications of my life have been removed. Uh, organising social events, which I do a lot of, promoting the Employee Ownership Trust, the Internal Business Consultancy. A lot of that has, has stopped. So I've been, or at least reduced temporarily. So I've been able to focus on the things that make me happy. My stress has been removed. And I actually think my well-being has increased up a little bit, perhaps nearer to my set level, because some of the distractions have been removed. No, I yeah, I, I can well admit because you've got no choice but to focus on the things that really make you happy. And maybe that's, uh, yeah, falls into why we're maybe trying to also catch that. Maybe there's an element of some people losing their purpose during this period, those are on furlough. Yeah, no, but I've, I've, I mean, I'm, I'm not doing any writing. Well, I'm doing bits of writing for myself, but all my TV writing has stopped. But I, the one thing I've discovered that I am really enjoying, although not today, because as I look out the window, it's absolutely hosing it down with rain, is I've discovered that I like gardening. One of my confirmation biases, if you like, was, well, I don't like gardening. I'm no good at gardening. I think the truth was I never, I never really had time for it. I never made time for it because I was busy doing other things. But the things with which I occupied my time, which while I work and also heavily involved in cricket, which is another thing which isn't happening at this time of year, I've now actually got more time. And, and because my gardener isn't calling either, I thought, well, I need to get to grips with this massive garden I've got. And actually, I've been spending some really enjoyable time out there. And I've realised that it wasn't the fact that I didn't like gardening. It was the fact that I didn't have time to do it properly. That, that's interesting. Time. Time. I think we talked about this in a previous podcast. Time is so important to us because we can fill it with the things that we really enjoy doing. And I think maybe from what you're saying, Chris, about you're actually focusing on the things that make you happy. And David, you're able to focus on the things that make you happy now because of time. My comment about your current level of well-being being right for you or just accepting it maybe isn't true if, if there is an opportunity to just go and search to see if there are other things that we can explore. I, I, I don't know. I, but then I, know, it, I think that's very true. And I think the one thing that most of us do have plenty of at the moment is time, time that we're not used to having. And it's, I guess, how we use that. But I'd like to come back to the other question, if I may, uh, Chris, what might give increase to our long-term well-being or at least give longer lasting well-being so so giving us greater protection against the things that knock us off our set point i i think i would answer that 
firstly by just saying, have you ever seen an unhappy Buddhist? <laughs> you know, Tomo's point about acceptance, I think, is really, really important. Um, and this this lockdown time is for some of us is giving us a chance to say, well, what's actually important? Get rid of the noise and accept the, uh, the, our level of well-being. And we're stopping the fight, if you like, the rat race. And um, the, I think there's a lot in that. Age Concern did an interesting survey recently about well-being in the over 60s. And the key sentence from that report, which surveyed some 15,000 people, was the following. The importance of maintaining meaningful engagement with the world around you in later life, whether this is through social, creative or physical activity, work or belonging to some form of community group. Mm, that's, I mean, that rings true. A, a big part of where financial well-being comes from is it is just one of five parts of well-being um and actually it can help support these other areas of well-being that are arguably more important you know you think of community well-being we've talked about that in previous podcasts social well-being it all comes out in that in that sentence right there um and i think focusing on that not just our finances is incredibly important um but if we can if we can gear our finances to be secure enough to support those areas i mean great that imagine that combination so that age concern uh, report cites engagement in creative and cultural activities as being a major part of contributing to overall well-being. So uh, financial well-being itself is really all about how you use your money to increase the other areas of cultural, creative, community, social, etc. So if we want to have one thing to do in lockdown time, that's what we should be doing, using this time to make sure we work on the other areas of our well-being and direct our money in that in that direction as well. Yeah, so in some ways, we, we may perhaps have been looking in the wrong place when we were running our more active helter-skelter lives. It's perhaps not so much about how we spend our money, but how we spend our time. David, you have a brilliant way of summarising these things. Well, I, I, I could have just asked you to say that at the beginning, and we're going to save everybody that time, <laughs> yeah. didn't we? We, we? we finally got there with the pertinent points, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. it's, been a, it's been a varied conversation today, which I've really, really enjoyed. And I hope at home that you have too, and that you'll join us again very soon for another one of our Financial Wellbeing Podcasts. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think.